I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Ezra chapters 1 through 3. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Let's begin with an introduction to the book of Ezra. So here's the setting. Assyria conquered Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and was the conquering empire to whom the northern kingdom fell in 721 B.C. However, Assyria subsequently fell to the Babylonian Empire in 606 B.C., and it was Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire who later brought Jerusalem to its final demise in 586 B.C., deporting its influential inhabitants. Less than five decades later, Babylon fell to Cyrus of Persia in 538 B.C., and that's roughly modern-day Iran. So it's important to know your empires. If you're keeping score, here's how it worked. Cyrus was the founder of the Persian Empire. He reigned over the Persians from 559 until 530 B.C. The seat of the Persian Empire was in the territory that roughly equates to modern-day Iran, as I mentioned, just east of Babylon. That's the seat of the Babylonian Empire, which is modern-day Iraq. Cyrus established Persian dominance over the short-lived empire of the Medes, today which is southwestern Russia, Georgia, in 550 B.C., and he captured Babylon in 539 B.C. At that point, the Persian, or the Medo-Persian Empire, encompassed all of the territory previously claimed by the Babylonian Empire, which preceded it, and the Assyrian Empire before that. Incidentally, a portion of Ezra is written in Aramaic instead of Hebrew. It was the common language of the Persian Empire and was used in both the Babylonian and Assyrian empires that preceded as a diplomatic and commercial language. In the entire Old Testament, only Ezra, beginning with chapter 4, verse 8, down through chapter 6, verse 18, uh, is written in Aramaic, along with chapter 7, verses 12 to 26, one verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 10, verse 11, and then some chapters in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, down to chapter 7, verse 28. Those are the only verses in the Old Testament that are actually written in Aramaic. We take up the story of Ezra with Cyrus, the Persian king, in 538 B.C. So we begin with Cyrus fulfilling a prophecy of Jeremiah in Ezra chapter 1, beginning now with verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, 
arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and cantled them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, thirty gold platters, one thousand silver platters, twenty-nine knives, thirty gold basins, four hundred and ten silver basins of a similar kind, and one thousand other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were five thousand four hundred. All these Sheshbazzar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Well, Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, and again in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, that Judah would be cut off from its land for 70 years. Jeremiah was the resident prophet at the time of the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. That's recorded in 2 Kings 24. So here's the decree from Cyrus for the Jews to come back home and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Cyrus even gives them a little seed treasure to get started, some of the treasures taken by Nebuchadnezzar at the fall. The first exiles had been deported from Judah, bound for Babylon in 605 and 604 B.C. Then, 70 years later, exactly as Jeremiah had specified, that brings us here to 535 B.C. How about that Cyrus? Notice verse 2. It says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Giving such high esteem to the Lord God of heaven is quite a departure from the previous conquering rulers. The name Lord is the Hebrew word Jehovah, also pronounced Yahweh, which was Israel's special name for the one true God. Finally, here's a ruler that is sympathetic to the past atrocities against Israel and seeks to set everything straight. So who is Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah, in verse 8? Well, it's believed by most that this is the Babylonian name for Zerubbabel. He's the man to whom Cyrus entrusts the treasures of Jerusalem and the temple for the purpose of the exiles return to Jerusalem. So let's everybody go home. Ezra chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, every one to his own city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sareah, Reelah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baanah, the number of the men of the people of Israel. The people of Perosh, 2,172. The people of Shephatiah, 372. The people of Arah, 775. The people of Pahath Moab, of the people of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. The people of Elam, 1,254. The people of Zatu, 945. The people of Zakai, 760. The people of Bani, 642. The people of Bebai, 623. The people of Osgod, 1,222. The people of Adonikam, 666. The people of Bigvi, 2,056. The people of Aden, 454. 
the people of Adar of Hezekiah, 98. The people of Bezai, 323. The people of Jorah, 112. The people of Hashem, 223. The people of Gibar, 95. The people of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Natopha, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. The people of Oz-Mavoth, 42. The people of Kirjoth-Arim, Kepharah, and Be'eroth, 743. The people of Rama and Geba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The people of Nebo, 52. The people of Magbash, 156. The people of the other Elam, 1,254. The people of Haram, 320. The people of Lod, Hadad, and Ono, 725. The people of Jericho, 345. The people of Sinaa, 3,630. The priests, the sons of Judea, of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Emer, 1,052. The sons of Pasher, 1,247. The sons of Haram, 1,017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel, of the sons of Hodaviah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ader, the sons of Talman, the sons of Acab, the sons of Hatidah, and the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. The Nethanim, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Kiros, the sons of Siaha, the sons of Padon, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Acab, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shammai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gadel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Reah, the sons of Reason, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasia, the sons of Besai, the sons of Asnah, the sons of Meanim, the sons of Nephesim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Basluth, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkas, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tama, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatipha. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Ja'alah, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pachareth, of Zebaim, and the sons of Ami. All the Nethanim and the children of Solomon's servants were three hundred and ninety-two. And these were the ones who came up from Tel-Melam, Tel-Harsha, Kerub, Aden and Emer, but they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. The sons of Deleah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. And the sons of the priests, the sons of Habbeah, the sons of Koz, and the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found, therefore they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360. 
besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Some of the heads of the fathers' houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priest and the Levite, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim, dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities." Wow, what a list. It's the list of returning exiles in verses 1 through 70, found again, by the way, in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 6 through 73. Notice the man named Zerubbabel in verse 2. He's likely the same one found in chapter 1, verse 8, known as Sheshbazer. He's also the same Zerubbabel of Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. As a descendant of David's royal line, he played an important part in the rebuilding and return of the exiles. He wasn't considered a king, but more like a governor over Israel. As a matter of fact, we generally speak of the historical temple in three different phases. First, Solomon's temple, then Zerubbabel's temple, and finally Herod's temple, the latter two being temple rebuilds. It's important to realize here that while Cyrus decrees that the Jews be returned to their homeland, they do not become an independent autonomous nation. They're still under Persian control. Independence and autonomy for Israel was not actually established again until May 14, 1948. Pay close attention to the detail given in their pedigrees. You'll observe that proof was required in establishing their lineages back to Israel prior to the fall of the northern and southern kingdoms. They were intent on recapturing the essence of what they had when Israel was united under a single king. Their number was 42,360, according to verse 64, along with their servants, totaling 7,337 in verse 65, all arriving in Jerusalem from the west, being Babylon, for a new start. Incidentally, this number is larger than the sum of the numbers for each family. The total number given here probably includes those from other tribes of Israel who accompanied them back to Jerusalem. Incidentally, there is an issue with some so-called priests in verses 61 to 63, Nehemiah also mentions it in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 63 through 65. The ancestors of these men had married into the priesthood. That's unacceptable. It's got to be in the genes. No more priesthood for these guys unless it can be proved that they themselves are in the bloodline of priestly families. They might be able to resume when they get an official word from a high priest with the Urim and Thummim. Our first reference to the Urim and Thummim is found in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. It says there, And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now we're not sure what these two items actually look like. And they are only mentioned seven times in the Old Testament. They obviously had much to do with knowing God's will. These items were placed into the breastplate of the high priest, beginning with Aaron. It's interesting to notice that not so many Levites returned. The number is given as 74. Especially when compared to the number of priests, 4,289. Perhaps their inferior status as something less than priests who would be working in the rebuilt temple caused them to prefer their current living circumstances instead of returning back to Jerusalem. 
Also notice the Nethanim of verse 43. These were temple servants of non-Levite descent. As a matter of fact, it's commonly believed that they and the servants of Solomon in verse 55 were non-Jewish slaves. In Ezra chapter 3 verse 1, we're back and we're sacrificing. Verse 1. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jazadok, and his brethren the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid." About three months after their arrival back in Jerusalem, they rebuilt an altar for sacrifice. The seventh month, Tishri, is the big month of the Jewish year. The first day is New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah. It begins with the blowing of trumpets and a holy convocation, according to Leviticus 23.24. Ten days later, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is observed, according to Leviticus 23.27. From the 15th to the 22nd, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkoth, is celebrated. Leviticus 23, 34-36 is where that's specified. As I said, it's a big month. Sacrificing on the altar has been restored in Jerusalem. If you're curious about all the Jewish festivals, then look at my article called Jewish Festivals. It's uh, located in the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Or if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, there's a link to uh, that article. The reference in verse 5 to the new moons refers to the sacrifices made at the beginning of each month. The Jews used an observational calendar based upon lunar cycles, all explained in the chart that's found in the uh, article on the festivals, also located in Leviticus 23 reading. The festivals here in the seventh month coincide with the fall of the year. There's a little bit of concern here, area troublemakers. Notice the statement found in verse 3, "...fear was upon them because of the people of those countries." As has always been the case, the heathen get upset when the righteous begin to serve God. Now, how about that temple? Verse 7. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jazadok, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, Kadmael, with his sons, and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, 
with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Well, it's spring now, second month, and they start rebuilding the temple. With all the correctness of the ancestors, Levites wearing Levite-looking uniforms, singers, trumpets, cymbals, people began shouting for joy, and the old-timers began weeping for joy when the foundation had been laid. It's obvious that there's something different here and very special about this building project. You'll notice in verse 8 that they adopted the age minimum for tabernacle service of 20. That was patterned after that, which was adopted in First Chronicles chapter 23. The age previously had been established at 30 back in Numbers chapter 4 by Moses. The minimum age of 25 was established later in Numbers chapter 8 when the tabernacle was being dedicated as the required age for Levite service. This was a significant day in Jewish history when sacrifice was restored in Jerusalem. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.